This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 36. This is Writing Excuses. How does context shape plot twists? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. And I'm Dan. And we're going to talk about the context of your plot twists. Now, the reason why we didn't just do a plot twist episode is because we've really kind of covered this. All that really needs to be said is fulfill those promises. But... I think that there is more to this topic. Uh, people like writing great plot twists. People like reading great plot, plot twists. Plot twists don't happen in a vacuum. And if you can build up what's happening around it that, so that it pushes toward this twist, then you're going to have a great plot twist. Um, the big thing we want to keep in mind is the, the Hollywood concept. Surprising yet inevitable. Yeah. And, and really the thing that, that people are looking for with that plot twist is the moment of surprise. Yeah. But then with them going, oh, of course, of course, of course they had to do that. Right. The, one of the classic examples that people hold up is The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Right. Now, O. Henry is the king of the plot twist. That is what he made his name on. So if mm. you haven't actually read his, book, his short stories, I, I recommend them to look at the structure of what he's doing. Yeah, you... you you want to have that moment. Now, something I want to talk about here. Let me, let me ask the, the rest of the, you. When do you, in your writing, if you, you, you were thinking of it, when do you want your reader to guess the plot twist? When do you want them to get it? I'm so, actually not allowed to worry about that yeah. because my readers have literally months to think about the story I'm telling online. This is true. And so, you know, I've heard people say, oh, if somebody, you know, if I, if, if anybody can guess it, then I've done it wrong. And I realized, you know what? No. Somebody is going to guess it uh, and may even post it in a place where I will get to read it. And so I just have to let go of that. For me, what I try and focus on instead of, you know, when should the reader figure it out is uh, what, what type of a twist am I creating uh, because I want I want to know what question the reader will need to ask in order to in in order to guess the twist. No, I think that's great. Really, I think people can take a lot from this. I mean, this is where you say luxury because <laughs> we can give our books to test readers, decide where they're figuring things out. If the if the reader on average is figuring stuff out too early, we're like, oh wait, um, obviously I've I've overplayed my hand. Um, if they're not getting it at all, we can add in more foreshadowing. But you really should, um, I think, have every plot twist work even if they've figured it out and work if they haven't yeah. figured mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. How do we do this? So I think there's two pieces going on there. One is that, um, that we have the character surprise and we also have the reader surprise. Mm. Um, so in order for it to work, if the reader is not surprised, if the reader knows what's mm -hmm. coming, the tension in the book cannot be built on the surprise of the reader. Mm -hmm. It has to be built on the characters. And as an aside of that, um, one danger of the reader figuring out too early is that them thinking that the characters are foolish for yes. not figuring it out. And so you need to have legitimate reasons why the characters aren't figuring this out. Yes. Um, and some of those things can be things like having the character 
identify a list of pro- of possible reasons that X is occurring, mm-hmm. and and give them very logical reasons for picking not for for discounting the actual solution. Right. Um, when we did our episode on uh, intrigue versus uh, mm-hmm. mystery, um, I, I have a small advantage because I just listened to all of these as I uh, prepped them for the site. When we did that, we talked about the difference being mystery, the reader doesn't know and mm-hmm. is trying to guess. Intrigue, the characters don't know, but the reader does know, and we are looking at what the characters are doing. Right. And with a plot twist where the reader has guessed it, you are up, you are, you're in the intrigue space. The reader yeah. knows what's going on, the characters don't. You have to sell this so that the surprising yet inevitable moment, which isn't surprising for the reader, is still surprising for the characters and is fun. And I'm thinking about those moments where, and I think this will air far enough out that the, you know, uh, it's not a spoiler, the moment where Vision grabs the hammer. Mm. Right. Yes. Which I haven't seen yet, so. Um, oh. Great, thanks, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think the thing is that when the reader is at, when the reader knows what's coming, that what they're reading for, what what the 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 tension that you're building, is the question not of, um, you know, who's gonna who's gonna do this thing, but how the characters are going to react to it. Yeah. So in um, in of noble family, I have I have a couple of of plot twists, uh, one of which I really don't want people to know about going in, and I worked very hard to make it sh- sure that I wasn't foreshadowing it in ways that would be, yeah. S- Predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is, you know, it's on the back cover of the book that that Jane is with child. And when I was writing it, I was writing it as though it was going to be a plot twist, even though I knew that everyone would be able to see it coming. Um, right. So it's a plot twist for the character because the character has an idea of how things are going to go down, and this throws a wrench in in what's going on. But what the reader doesn't know, even though that they know that she is with child, they don't know how that is going to affect her mm-hmm. and how it's going to affect their circumstances. And that is, is how you can structure things. We've yeah. also teased the reader a little bit by giving them something that they might look at and say, oh, this is the plot twist, and then they relax and start looking. You sneaky, sneaky person. Yes. <laughs> Dan, we talk a lot about everything doing more than one thing, yeah. and plot twists are another example. If your plot twist is in there solely for the sake of surprise, yeah. it will not be satisfying more than once. Or at least once. not as satisfying. Yeah. I personally dislike it when, when storytellers do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, are, there is a school of thought that thinks you should do that, and we should acknowledge that. I remember when I was reading the bonus, or listening to the bonus features for 24, the series, and they got together and said, what is the one thing they won't expect, the reader won't expect us to do? I say reader, the viewer. Mm-hmm. And they did that one thing. Yeah. Um, and... You know what? Well, it was shocking. And and see, that's great. But mm-hmm. twists like that, and I've done twists like that mm-hmm. as well, they still f- serve other functions, you know? Right. I, I think that if your reader is able to look back on your story and say, yep, I didn't see it coming, but there's no way this story could have been told without it, mm-hmm. not necessarily because it was foreshadowed and inevitable, right. but because what happened, the repercussions of it, are integral to the advancement of the character and the advancement of the plot. You know, I then often it's going to feel like it fits. That it's easy to make a plot twist. 
it's really, really easy. It's hard to make one satisfying. Mm-hmm. But you could sit down, listener, right now, and write a new scene where all your main characters die, and your romance turns into a space opera. And, I mean, you could, you could throw in all kinds of plot twists out of nowhere. Not satisfying at all. It's the context that's going to make this satisfying. It's the other things you're doing with that plot twist. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of those things that you're doing contextually is that you are, um, you're, some of the contextual tools that you're using are distracting the reader mm. by other conflicts. Right. Let's talk, we'll, actually, let's stop for, the bo- talk, stop for the book of the week, then we'll talk about red herrings. And the book of the week is I Am Princess X? Yes. So I Am Princess X uh, is by Sherry Priest, and this is another book that I have read because I narrated. Um, but again, this is a book that I really enjoyed, and it's it's great for plot twists. The um, You start off the book, and you're like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be a, a story about, you know, girls in elementary school, um, and 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 then you find out that the uh, like this is not a spoiler because yeah. it's it's chapter one, um, best friend dies, and the book is dealing with the repercussions of that, and it just keeps going down farther and farther down this rabbit hole of well I didn't I was not expecting that little thing to wow. happen. Um, it's a lot of fun and um, the audiobook is I, I really enjoyed narrating the audiobook. I will say that one of the differences between the audiobook and the uh, the print version is that the print version has um, uh, comic books woven into it because mm. those are integral to the plot. And uh, for the audiobook, we had to make them into radio plays. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm. So I Am Princess X by Sherry Priest, and that's available uh, f- with a free 30-day trial membership at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Great. That does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, it really is. So red herrings. Red herrings. This is one of the best ways um, to fool the reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've talked before. Writers, you're stage magicians. You need to be pulling off these dramatic magic tricks with your pop plot twists. Now, we'll get into a minute. Not every book needs one of these. So make sure you understand this. But if you're planning one, one of the best ways to do it is actually to look at what a stage magician does. And they will keep your attention on the wrong thing so well that if you actually eliminate that thing, one of the ways to watch how a, ma- um, a stage magician is doing their trick is to get them on the screen and put a post-it or a piece of paper over the hand that's distracting you and just watch the other one and you're like wow it's right there i can totally see what they're doing they slip it off the table they grab it out of there they um you do the same thing as a writer yeah Yeah, you delete the text of the red herring and suddenly the text that was foreshadowing the surprising but but inevitable plot twist is right there in front of you yeah there's a really really simple trick Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite tools, actually. Um, when we're it, and it's an order of information thing. Um, typically speaking, when you're so when you're writing, you know, the reader is building the images one one step at a time. So typically speaking, the first thing and the last thing that the character notices are the two most important things. Okay. So this is a focus thing mm-hmm. using puppetry terms, um, and all the stuff in the middle is. The, the readers will kind of skim past. So if you put the actual clue smack dab in the middle of a list... They won't see it. They won't see it, but it's still there. So where, so like if I say... Um, 
you know, it, in Shades of Milk and Honey, the, the I, I have a dueling pistol literally on the mantle mm-hmm. in the first act. <laughs> it's literally on the mantle. But it's in the middle of a description of how masculine the room is. Mm-hmm. And, you know... The, the paintings, the heavy green drapes, the pistols on the mantle, the roaring fireplace, the gilded books. Uh, whereas if I had put, you know, the roaring fireplace, the drapes, the gilded books, and the pistol on the mantle, that's... Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, the way that plot twi- or that red herrings work um, is you give information in a way that the reader assumes they know why you're giving it. Yeah. That's the best way to slide this foreshadowing in, is this idea, like, I, I look at the sixth sense. Yeah. Um, sorry, Statue of Limitations is over. You're going to oh, get yeah, spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bruce Willis is dead. The opening scene, he gets shot. Your immediate thought is going to be, oh, wow, he just got shot. But in the context, in the very next scene, he meets another little boy who has, like, the same problem as the guy who shot him. You're like, oh, that prologue was there because we're showing character development for Bruce Willis and why he takes on this difficult case with the new kid who can see ghosts. You Mm -hmm. think you know why the scene is there. If you're making your scenes do multiple things, Mm -hmm. like that scene is, then yes, you do know why the scene is there. You just don't know the other reason it's there. Yeah. The the movie reviewer, Roger Ebert, always talked about the law of economy of characters. Mm. That Mm. you could always tell who was going to be the killer by just looking at who the famous actors were in the movie and saying, well, this guy hasn't done anything important yet. Obviously, (laughs) he's the murderer. Um, And you can, the, the way around that is to make sure that all your characters are doing important things. That all your characters have a reason to be in the movie that does not invo- involve them killing someone. Yeah. Well, and that comes back to this, this whole idea of contextualizing the plot twist, contextualizing everything. If, if, the, if the story you are telling feels like the sort of story where an archetypical kind mm-hmm. of plot twist is going to happen, uh, you know, the, somebody's going to betray somebody else mm-hmm. and you're waiting for the traitor to show up. Uh, your context has created the ability for you to create a perfect red herring. Yeah. Yeah. I that- love red herrings that um, what they do is you leave a hole. You leave a hole and the characters haven't realized something. And the reader's like, oh, they didn't notice it. This is it, obviously. You put something obvious that the characters aren't getting to for a little while. So the reader's like, oh, I've got it figured out. I know who it is. They didn't think of, they listed off all their suspects. They didn't list this person. That person is obviously it. And then several chapters later, the character's like, oh, what about this person? Oh, it turns out they have an alibi. Yeah. It yanks the rug out right in, from underneath you. Yeah. And, and then, then you have forgotten some of the other things. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that this is Agatha Christie, but this is a, this is a really neat trick for Seat of the Pantsers. Mm-hmm. I believe... And someone, I'm sure, in the comments will correct me. But a famous mystery writer like Agatha Christie, <laughs> who might be someone else, um, was a seat of the pantser. And I'm like, how do you write mysteries without... And she would write without knowing who did it. And the way she would handle it was that she made sure that everyone could have done it and would decide in the last chapter... Who it was. Who it was. <laughs> and then she would just go back and do a little bit of cleanup. Right, to- yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. It is totally what you can do. Now, we're talking a lot about plot twists in the context of a mystery that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of plot twists True. 
you know, that, that your characters aren't necessarily looking for. Right, well, like you know? getting pregnant. Yeah. I mean, that's one that you ne- don't necessarily need to foreshadow any more than saying these people are engaging in certain activities which might relate, result in a child. Yeah, it'll do this. twist, you know, we are, having, we are having a gunfight and now the building is on fire. Yeah. Well, the objective has just changed. Yeah. I'm done shooting people and it's time to run away from the flames. Now, you can foreshadow the thing still thematically. For instance, mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin foreshadows people die in my books. Mm-hmm. So he can have plot twists where major characters are killed in seemingly haphazard ways where you're just like, what? No one else would have done that, but he's foreshadowed it. And so you have to foreshadow thematically for these sort of twists to work. And with something like uh, the pregnancy that shows up in A Noble Family, you know, you've been foreshadowing this is how it affects the magic. Mm -hmm. This is how it affects her societally so that, you know, it's there in your mind even though you don't necessarily see it coming. Now, very quickly, we're running out of time. I do want to spend some time on the idea you may not need plot twists. Yes. What do I mean by that? Well, you may not need an Ender's Game style. Everything is just changed um, Mm. in the last few chapters. Oh my goodness, I never knew what this story was about. In fact, people in my writing group sometimes, because I like endings like that, and I try to work them in periodically to my books where you're like, wow, this just changed everything. I've had good friends of mine who are like, I, I have to put book things like that in my books. I don't have any. And then try to put them in. And what happens is they're, that's not the style of book. The thematic foreshadowing for their novel is not you don't have the ending where the guy and girl don't get together. Right. Because that ruins your book. It's, sometimes it's okay to have the expected happen. Yeah, because again, people are reading for specific effects. And mm-hmm. if you if you're picking up a book and you want you want surprises and shocks and thrills, that's a different kind of book than when you're picking something up and you want something that is comfortable and cozy. Well, and this is also where we should talk about the different degrees of intensity that a plot twist can have. Yeah. And Ender's Game, Sixth Sense, recontextualize the whole story mm-hmm. is on one end of the scale, but you can still have different plot twists of Oh, in this romantic comedy, I didn't realize that she actually is a zookeeper, you know, which doesn't necessarily change the entire thing, but it is going to change a certain aspect of it. So there's still surprises without being, yeah, without uh, a, a, twist. Yeah. Example from my own work with the Longshoreman of the Apocalypse, when we are trying to catch the bad guys who are doing bad things, and then we have blown a hole in the space station, right. and we need to save everybody. Yes. That's a great example of a, quote, plot twist, unquote, that does not recontextualize the whole story. Right. Mm-hmm. It just says, we're telling an adventure story, and <gasps> it just got bigger, and big finish. We're out of time. Um, I'm going to give you a piece of homework. Um, I want you to go pick a favorite piece of media, probably easiest with a film or a short story, something you can read or experience very quickly, but it could work for a novel, too. And I want you to pick one that has a great plot twist. It's your favorite type of plot twist. It doesn't need to be Sixth Sense, recontextualize everything, but the type of plot twist you enjoy, uh, the left turn you enjoy in the story. And I want you to look and see how the creator of this piece of media foreshadows it, either thematically or specifically with foreshadowing. And I want you to see how they use red herrings. Take that all and make a list out of it. And hopefully this will teach you a little bit about the subtlety of doing plot twists yourself. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.